Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. She's Ann Friedman. She is Amina Tussauds. Mm. I'd love to mix it up. <laughs> How are you doing over there? Still eating coffee cake from a couple weeks ago? <laughs> Listen, I am eating all kinds of things. One of my pandemic coping mechanisms has been actually eating dessert. Like normally I don't really bother with dessert, but I think that um, stretching out mealtime a little bit more or being like, here is something different. I can't explain it, but I eat dessert now. Not just in the morning is what I'm trying to say. What about you? And I love this for you. Um, <laughs> what about me? Nothing. I am dealing with like some very serious... Um, like chronic dry hands, but only on patches of skin. So what? Yeah. So I'm just like, is this eczema? Is that like, what's happening here? Anyway, that will be investigated further. But in the meantime, I have bought like every like intensely moisturizing cream that one can own. And I'm learning a lot about water content in lotion and uh, what you're supposed to do for that. Anyway, suffice to say that I, my hands are very well moisturized right now. I'm very happy. And uh, I might be going to dermatology school soon. Can I tell you that I had a realization one night recently that um, like a kind of like middle-aged white woman headed to bed on TV, I've like taken to doing like, like putting on hand lotion before I go to sleep, which like <laughs> it's snuck, it's, it snuck into my life so fast. And, um, and all of a sudden I was like, wow, like I, there, I can't remember a transition point where I was like, I'm going to start putting on putting lotion on my hands before I go to sleep but like I find myself here and this is how aging works it is a parable night lotion night lotion <laughs> yeah this is a this is like the level of old lady that I am where I just look at everyone's hands and I'm like hmm I wonder if she wears sunscreen yeah I'm like moisturize sunscreen everything it's a uh, you know like a uh, health is wealth as they say and also, you are already my fav favorite armchair dermatologist. I can't even imagine like that you have more to learn about lotions. I'm actually kind of shocked. <laughs> Listen, lotion is like, it turns out, wow, like a whole world to explore. Um, <laughs> I, I could talk about this forever, but it will bore you. So uh, let's get into the show this week. Tell me who we're talking to. This week, I called up my friend Cleo Wade, who is an artist, a poet, an activist, and an author. Her next book, called What the Road Said, will be released on March 23rd, 2021. Cleo is just, um, she is truly like a magical human being. Like, I think if you read her work or you kind of like know what she does, you're like, mm -hmm. like, she just like loves people and she's like, always has the right word for the right time. Um, but she's the real deal. She's the real deal. And she's one of my favorite thinkers. And I like how her brain works. And I like the things that she's interested about. And she always makes me consider things differently. So I was excited to call her up to see how her pandemic has been going, you know, like what it's like. If you think that I'm a good armchair dermatologist, like she's a very good armchair <laughs> dermatologist. And so I'm like, tell me what's a... Uh, Tell me like what's happening. Uh, you know, I'm like, tell me what's happening in your skincare drawer. I love that. And I can't wait to listen. I mean, I know and love Cleo's work and especially this is superficial, but especially her handwriting. Like, wow. Like truly. Wow. Truly, truly, truly a very, 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 like, distinguishable, but also, like, gorgeous handwriting. Mm. Anyone who can, like, make, anyone who can be known for their handwriting, which is the opposite of me, like, or rather, like, I, too, am known for my handwriting, but not because it's good. <laughs> you know, I'm like, wow, this is how the other half lives. <laughs> I, but it's one of those things I've, it's almost like I'm kind of ashamed to say it, like pointing out that someone who's really beautiful is really beautiful, but like, I do admire the handwriting. I do love a pretty handwriting. I can't help it. Listen, um, it's a very good handwriting from, um, you know, someone who's very beautiful inside and outside. So it works. Right. The sentiment is there too, which is why it's so great. Here is Cleo. Hi, Cleo. Thanks for coming on Call Your Girlfriend. Oh my gosh, this dream come true. I'm so happy. 
Uh, I miss you. How are you? I feel like the only honest answer to that question is like, I'm doing as good as I could be under the circumstances we live in. Fair enough. It's like when the people email you and they're like, I hope this email finds you well. You're like, this email has found me in shambles. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> this me for email things. has found me rotting in my sweatpants. <laughs> Is there like anything that's making you like a little bit happy right now? Like what's bringing you joy these days? Honestly, our texts and voice memos to each other give me life. Truly. I mean, I hate to get mushy about you and your own podcast, but like, I feel <laughs> that are, um, and I know especially because you hate mushy, but like love mushy, but like don't want to indulge in mushy. But, you know, I feel like if there's anything I wish for anyone in this world, whether you find it through partnership, a pet, a friend, a family member, it's like div- someone who divinely understands you and sees you and is kind of standing near you wherever you are during like these times where like, you know, during the, the weirdness of, of the world we live in. And so, you know, to be able to like call or text or be in contact or communication with the people who are like, I saw that too, or I felt that too, especially when, you know, like, I think like last time I texted you, I was like, hi, I'm just here with all of my unpopular opinions And, you know, you were just right there with me. And I just felt this kind of divine understanding and like loving holding of the of where I was. And, you know, that that type of those these types of friendships are just really keeping me afloat during, you know, the isolation of COVID. I mean, I I am so there with you. I think that the friends that you can just like vent and complain to right now. Oh, are the friends that you need to hold on so tightly to them. Like they're, they're just days where I'm like, I know we're in a pandemic, but I'm feeling really petty right now. Or I am feeling just, I I just don't want to talk about, you know, politics or the state of the pandemic. I'm like, I actually have, you know, I'm like, I have my personal things I want to vent about. And it's hard to like have those conversations with everyone, but I feel that we are able to have those because Probably because we share the same unpopular opinions. So uh, we do. <laughs> we do. Like, I feel like even when I talk to like our other friends, sometimes I'll be like, "Well, I'll meet on you," and I both think, <laughs> "Where you're like, I just like drag you in." <laughs> know, we're getting canceled from the friend group. Don't even worry. It's like every group chat that we're in, I'm convinced that they've started a group chat without us. A hundred percent. Claire, are you finding that? It's been really hard to be creative or are you having pockets of creative outbursts right now? I'm finding it's hard to be creative because for me, at least, and creativity requires replenishment and reflection. And when you live in an era of like one train wreck after another, after another, and maybe a small reprieve and then another thing. And then, you know, um, and being surrounded by just so much grief that, you know, we're living in globally and especially in America, it's like finding replenishment is so difficult and creating the space for reflection seems almost impossible, right? Because you still feel so in it. And then you're, then you're kind of, as you're in it met with like, you know, maybe one aspect of things ending or beginning, but, you know, new uncertainties of whether it's the vaccine or whether it's, you know, how it's, how they're going to distribute it in a non-chaotic way or what about your kids? And it's so hard to create the space for, I feel what's necessary to creativity um, in a time like this. Yeah. How are you handling the grieving portion? Because I'm finding that Every day there is a, there is a new thing to mourn. And also when you really focus on just, you know, the grief of the moment, it becomes really overwhelming because there's just so much. There are so many small things and then there are the big things and then there are the things that make you spiral. How are you handling that? Uh, you know, as someone who, you know, most of the reason why I um, write so many mantras and things is because I, I actually use them. You know, like when I can't sleep or I have anxiety or I have, you know, whatever I'm moving through, um, I do have things that I repeat over and over to myself. And I think when it comes to grief, what I've been, you know, I have written on a sheet of paper, right, you know, in 
probably three different rooms of my house right now is um, the mantra, may I sit with grief without becoming it. And so for me, I just, you know, I, I kind of live knowing that grief is something and is, and is a ever present, not ever present, but a, a grief is a kind of reoccurring visitor um, that is in, almost impersonal to you, you know, like the way a, the same group of birds might kind of fly and sit by your house every day or, you know, and so I kind of try to know that I can sit with things without becoming the thing. And um, that really helps me when I feel that I'm kind of up to my neck in it. You are like so in touch with your feelings to a degree that it, um, it like frightens me a little bit because it just shows me how much I'm like, oh, wow, I move through the world avoiding every feeling. <laughs> it's, how, it's how I'm able to take a breath, you know, but I'm, I'm just like wondering, were you always like this? Like, were you, is this something that you had to learn or do you think that like truly from the time you were formed, you really knew that like, you know, processing your feelings and like handling them and also naming them was really important. You know, I think it mostly starts with an ability to console yourself. I think that for me, you know, my parents will be the first people to tell you that I raised myself, you know, Um, and I didn't grow up in a household with a ton of emotional or mental stability or emotional availability. And, and I think for me, especially there wasn't a ton of emotional availability, um, Uh, Given that, you know, my brother, the way my brother kind of handled the traumas of our childhood, he, you know, really required a lot of the attention, you know, not the attention, but, you know, you know, when you, um, you call out for the focus, you, you tend to get the focus more because it's kind of like, you know, you have to go see the principal or you have to go to the class, you know, you have to. And so it, when that's how it manifests in one child, that child where it doesn't manifest in that way kind of ends up being left alone the most because, you know, all of this energy has been spent on, you know, the, the, the child who is, you know, flick flaring. So I think that for me, I just spent a lot of time in my own childhood by myself, kind of figuring out ways to make myself feel better that were, you know, healthy. And I, it's not like I even thought they should be healthy or not, but it was kind of like, that made sense to me as a kid. And I remember even when I was writing, my kids book, I wanted to create the book, you know, the my book kind of consists of a series of questions that this traveler, this young traveler asks this road and the road is kind of this, you know, whether it's the universe or God or whatever it is, you know, your internal wisdom, any type of belief you have Buddha, you know, whatever outside that whatever kind of deep wisdom you think may exist in the world in some way, um, energetically or spiritually. Um, the road is kind of responding and, you know, holding the traveler as they go. And I remember when I wrote it, I was like, you know, what, when I had all these big questions and, you know, what did I wish I had the grownups around me? What, what did I wish the grownups around me were providing me the answers with, you know, or two? Um, and so I think that the one thing that I've learned to do since I was, you know, six years old is like, okay, well, you know, just if you look at it this way, or like, you know, if you can just like, have some water, or if you can go to sleep, or like, you know, I really did have these kind of weird rituals, even as a young child of like, okay, this is how you can cope with this or deal with this. Um, And, and, you know, that kind of turned into adult habits that became like much better versions of, you know, like non-coping, so going to therapy. So you're not always coping or having a supportive group of girlfriends or finding a healthy relationship romantically, you know, et cetera. Yeah. So the book is called What the Road Said. And I am curious if like when, when you sit down to start a new book project, like especially one like this, where you are really channeling a past self essentially to give advice to people who are kind of there and to, and to really illuminate what the feelings of the reader are, what that process looks like for you. Is it really easy to tap back into that place? Or do you find that you have to do a lot of 
your own introspection and it's like a place where you have to heal again. I try not to try to find the healing and create the message at the same time. So I think to allow processing, you know, I mean, even the idea that the poem came from uh, that create that ended up turning into this book, it's like two and three years old now at this point. Because even as I decided to put it into a book, I, I really wanted to take the time to process so that I could bring processed emotions into the world rather than kind of like energy dumping emotions. So, you know, sometimes, you know, so a lot of the times you and I talk about the people who get online and just like dump and dump and dump, right? And, you know, it just makes the online space, you know, even less of a place for like, to feel any type of generative energy or any type right, of it's just painful. Yeah. And people who choose to make things with their creativity or make art or put writing into the world, you kind of like have this weird sense of like what your place is in it. Like before I even kind of like go back and journey into like, what did I want to say to my childhood self? You know, I probably worked in therapy for like four years on the wounds of my childhood. <laughs> um, right. Or even like thinking about asking myself that question so that it wouldn't be like a revelatory journey, <laughs> like in a crazy traumatic way. Do you know what I mean? No, I hear you. And I think that I like the reason I ask is because I think that it's something that you and I talk about a lot. And I think, you know, we talk about a lot in our friend group too about both like how do you move on from from like this past kind of trauma how do you channel it into the work that you want to do but also how do you have boundaries with emotions that are just really hard to deal with and really hard to process and i have always really admired the way that you are able to name something that's hard and also not let it completely eat you alive. You yeah. know, it's not because you're putting on a brave face or you're, you know, like there, there's people who are like, okay, I'm brave. I'm strong. I don't care. I don't really, uh, that stuff doesn't affect me. And that is not your attitude, right? I think that there is a place in community for processing trauma where we can all really model for each other. Here's what's hard about my life. Here are the steps that I'm taking to deal with it. Here's a therapy that I'm in, or here's the healing method that I'm taking because it's not that therapy is available to everyone. No, thank you, America. Mm -hmm. But I personally just like have found it really, really healthy and also like really healing to be able to talk to other adults about, okay, here was what was hard about my childhood. And mm -hmm. here's how that affects me as an adult. And also I'm not going to dwell on it every day because it cannot destroy my life. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that I think it's hard to figure out on your own. But when you see other people model it for you, you're like, okay, like we can do two things at once. Love it. Love it. Let's do it. Yeah. And you know, it's also kind of about being able to say like, I feel comfortable and would like to offer this part of my story to perfect strangers um, or to my community. And this is how I plan on doing it while also taking responsibility for my energy and taking responsibility for the things that come with that. And I think that, you know, a lot of the times what we have in our culture is people who don't consider the responsibility, you know, the things that they need to be responsible for um, as the sharer. Ooh, can you say more about that? You know, I feel like I know a lot of people who, um, you know, may have like come out of the social media gate really strong, like kind of sharing and sharing and sharing so much of their lives. And then you'll start to see their narrative shift over time where they start to kind of say like, so this is eating me alive or can't believe people are questioning this or wondering about this or if their their following grows in a really big way. And, you know, it's 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 like, they start to have this weird identity crisis in the space of, you know, the non-reality reality of the internet. Yeah. And so in that, you just don't take into account that just like, you know, you, that you're going into a relationship with something like social media or, you know, the internet. <laughs> just like when I go into a relationship with my partner, Simon, you know, I don't just go in saying, these are all the things I want from you, or these are all the things you're going to do for me, or this is all the love we have, or da da da. You're like, you know, as a grown ass woman, these are the, this is what I'm responsible for, right? You know, I'm responsible for 
my own happiness in a way. You cannot be the person who's responsible for whether or not I'm a happy person. You know, whether or not our relationship is high functioning and is a happy relationship, we both have a responsibility to that's interconnected. But, you know, as far as like the things that only I can do for me, here are those things. And this is where I take responsibility. And so I think that as people go into the kind of sharing space of online, you know, they forget that they're entering a relationship with like mass groups of people and they don't kind of have that moment of saying, okay, and this is how I responsibly do this because if I'm going to treat you like my therapist and then you don't respond to me like a loving therapist, you know, maybe I can't be mad, (laughs) you know, (laughs) or if I'm going to sit here and think that, you know, um, you, you know, are going to be the place where I put every single thought I've ever had. And then someone says it's annoying that every single thought I've ever had is online or has some judgment of my life because I share so much of my life or this or that or whatever, you know, you have to take responsibility for the things you want to do in the world, you know, like whether it's, I mean, I even remember, you know, when I wanted to become a poet, it was, it was really before it became a thing you could do. Like there was no one doing it. I mean, I remember even when my, when hard talk was coming out, they were like, we don't know where we're going to put this in a bookstore because this kind of modern sweep of poetry hadn't happened. I think even, you know, our friend Rupi's book, I think milk and honey had still been self published at that point, you know? So it wasn't, it was not happening like at all. And I remember, you know, I had a boy, I mean, well, you know, my boyfriend at the time, but, I was in DC mm-hmm. and I would be at these like stuffy parties and, uh, or events or whatever. And these like old white guys would be kind of like, what do you do? And I'd say I was a poet and they would literally laugh at me. Like they would just burst into laughter because they like couldn't understand how I could. Like, a poet on the internet. Tell me more. Yes, I They just couldn't even believe, you know, like, and I wanted to say I even had my book deal at that point, but they couldn't even believe the book was real. They probably thought I was lying. <laughs> like, you know, it was like, they really were like, that's not been a real job in like a hundred years. And so, um, and, and let alone that they were kind of like confused as to why this kind of like supposedly serious person was like dating someone who's like, I'm a poet, you know, it was, it was like a weird, it was a fun, kind of funny thing. But I remember thinking, like, listen, like, that's my dream. And that's what I want to do. And I have to take responsibility for what comes with that. And like, you know, when you want to do something that's unusual, or you want to do something that is merely just what you want to do, you know, you look at it, and you're like, "Mm -hmm," and I'm responsible for the energy I come with about it. I'm responsible for the feedback I may or may not get, you know, like, I'm responsible for however I need to handle the feedback. So I think that there's this kind of lost space in our world right now where we just stopped wondering like, okay, what are we responsible for? Like the way that it's happening now online is definitely, um, it feels very different than, I'm not saying that like people have invented like being public figures or semi-public figures. I'm just saying that with the internet and social media specifically, it feels differently and it looks differently. But I find that very rarely do people have honest conversations about how it makes them feel, you know? Mm-hmm. And because I like I cannot imagine, for example, like being your, you know, like your inbox, like the amount of people who are just like, Cleo, give me wisdom or give me a part of yourself or fix my life or the entitlement to that. It's a very beautiful and lucky and like, like, I am grateful that people care about our ideas and they care about our work. You know, like, I don't take that for granted. But I think that really talking about the other side of how it drains you or how you can also start to feel very differently about that pressure is something that's also really important to discuss. Well, or to, to, and and to just look at it like any other relationship, like the health of every relationship is dependent on, if you had to boil it down to one thing, it would be boundaries, you know? And so the being online or having a relationship with a community you know, as a relationship, nonetheless, meaning that it is can only thrive if there are boundaries. And so a lot of I feel like what you and I discuss a lot is, you know, what are the boundaries that feel right? And as you know, with anyone, most of the time when you need a boundary, the other person being thing, whatever, 
in no way wants the same motherfucking boundary as you. <laughs> no, like, I it's never happened to me. Like I have never had that conversation with my mom or the, uh, any other family member or a work person, you know, where I had to sit down and say, I really need this. This boundary is really important to me. And there hasn't been something because people are either, uh, I don't want that, you know, like that's not what I'm interested in and that's not how I would like this to be. And I don't care about what you what you need in order for this to be. Or they have a moment of kind of this shame that's like a little feeling a little weird that they didn't know that you were uncomfortable, that they were causing harm unintended mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's it's sticky, you know what I mean? And so you know, I can't tell you how many times I'll have someone like kind of whether it's like DM me or like something and, and they'll say just something kind of like, not like rude, but they'll be kind of like, you should be da 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 da. And it's like literally like something that's like so out of line, you know? And I'll, and like every now and again, I'll respond. And the amount of times people are like, oh, I really didn't think you would respond to this. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I always remember thinking like, you know, it's not that I want, I, you know, want to engage, but what I do want to do is instill the boundary that, you know, you have to remember that there's a human being on the other side of this device and like, you know, putting my beating heart in the forefront of all of my interactions is a critical boundary for me, you know, so that it's not, you know, whether it's a person you might hold on a pedestal or a person you may think is, you know, not human because you think they're dumb and hate their work or whatever it might be. But like what we want is to have the full extent of our humanity acknowledged. You know, you want to be able to be, you know, seen as a as a person. And, and, and that is like, you know, basically my first and foremost boundary. But when it comes to the community, it's like, it's really like any other relationship. It's like, what are the boundaries you need? You know, how much of your home are you willing, home life are you willing to share? How much of your friend life are you willing to open, you know, open up to without losing the intimacy? And, you know, it requires kind of this constant check-in with yourself because, you know, you want to like know that you are living a life. You know, my friends, you know, you know, Stevie, she's my best girlfriend from New Orleans. And, uh, she wrote this thing the other day online. She was like, I'd rather be free than wear a crown on the internet. And I was like, it's so true. You know, so much of what you, um, all of us, and I don't care if you have 10 or 20 followers or 2 million or whatever it could be. It's it's about, you know, making sure you're living a life um, because that is like the indicator of like how to find your joy or move through the toughest, you know, in the toughest moments of your life, the internet is probably the worst place on earth for you. I mean, so much that you just said, I'm just finding that I'm, I'm nodding or I'm like, Oh my, like, thank you for saying that. Because, you know, like the thing about boundaries, I think for me is that, especially for us as black women, boundaries are useful in two ways. One, it is the number one way to find out who doesn't respect you. It's mm-hmm. like, it doesn't matter what the boundary is. Like, it's like, say the most outlandish one or the most simple one you want. The way that people react is, that's a very good barometer for like, is this person in my corner or not? And do they respect me or not? Or And do they even, are they even capable, you know? Like, I mean, so much of what we find in, you know, friendships over time is is what people are, are capable of. Ooh. And then the next thing I think that like boundaries do for you is that you also just learn about yourself, you know, where you get to say like, okay, it's my own practice of respecting myself and respecting my time and trying to figure out like what is making me tick. So I feel that the thing also that you said about Stevie is it's bringing up a lot for me because I think that we are living in this time where for people around our age, at least, there is this like real pressure or like, I guess a perception that people have that the totality of who you are is who is in the, you know, the the frame that they see on the phone. Mm. Like No, no. Like this is edited. This is produced. It's me. It is like a hundred percent a facet of me, but it does not begin to scratch the surface of who I am in my intimate relationships. And 
I find it all really hard because the, you know, the capitalist pressure and the like definitely like internet right now pressure is that everyone is supposed to be authentic and everyone is supposed to be, you know, like have an authentic voice, whatever that means. And I was like, you can have an authentic voice without completely just being a robot. Well, you know? also by the way, you'll never have to think about how to have an authentic voice if you live an authentic life. I mean, that is true, but who is going to yeah. tell everyone that? Hello. I know. Wait, hold on. You know, I just I just had Stevie send me her quote so I can quote it directly, like exactly. And she said, Stevie's quote is, I'm inconsistent on social because I'm a real person. I don't always have something to say. Sometimes I'm too tired to play. I tell people, don't use quote unquote brand to describe my life's work. I'm not manufactured nor a slave. My work is about legacy and I do it in my own space and time. And then she says, I'd rather be free than crowned. Uh, That is like really hitting me in the gut. Like, especially the thing about legacy, because so much of the way that we work right now, it's everything has to be right now, right now, right now, right now. You know, and earlier you had said that part of what was hard about being creative is that there's not a time to reflect. Yeah. Um, I was I was reading this Toni Morrison interview earlier this week, like reading, watching, I forget. But like the, the question was, um, it was like, oh, Toni, do you write every day? And I guess like if you're a writer, you're supposed to say yes to that. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, I don't write every day, but I think every day. Yeah. And, and that has just really stayed with me of what are like, what am I thinking about? What, where does my thought life go? You know, and what is this all building towards? Because the treadmill of vomit out the next, uh, you know, like idea that you have is just not working for me. And I think that if you want to be in the business of making something that endures, it does require taking some time. the past seven years, you know, I've basically in the past five years will have put out like four books. And so it's definitely cost me a lot, you know, and life-wise and, and and also benefited me in so many beautiful ways. And, you know, I'm so grateful for the journey, but, you know, as I was coming into this year, I was mostly reflecting on, you know, you know, putting out a book in March and it being my last book for the foreseeable future So knowing that, you know, I wanted to take a pause to kind of research and live and not know for a while, you know, especially as a Virgo is very not me. Um, (laughs) And I actually want to dictate my life right now. I'm based on like how I want to feel, not what I want to do. Hmm. Um, And I really wondered, I was like, you know, how do I want to feel in my personhood every day? How do I want to feel in my motherhood every day? How do I want to feel in my partnership every day? And what does it look like to, you know, landscape a life, a work life and parent life around those things? And I still don't really know what that looks like. But I was like, I was just felt so grateful that, you know, how I was kind of coming into this next kind of phase of my life was based on like really doubling and tripling down on connecting with how I feel about every little thing I do, whether it's the amount of minutes I'm on online or, you know, how I interact with my own community or, you know, when writing feels good and when it doesn't, you know, and, and that's been like a really cool space to be in. This makes me so happy for you, Cleo, because you are like, truly your work ethic is iconic. Like you <laughs> You work a lot, you know, and I don't mean that in a, a, like, you're always busy and the work is like, you're, you're just like busy and you're cultivating the cult of busyness. But I think that, you know, I have really gotten to see you do a lot of different things and the way that you flex both your, like the creative part of your brain and then the business part of your brain is also something that is just, um, it's really inspiring to me. 
I just have really appreciated how you are like really thoughtful about the things that you want to make, but you are also really thoughtful about how they are to reach the people that need to get them, you know? And I think that sometimes those are not sometimes those are definitely like two different skill sets. And it's been really cool just to see, to see that you can do all of that. So I, I am excited for you about what the next thing is. And more importantly, I'm excited for you to get a little bit of rest yeah, you know? I'm excited about the no thing. I'm like, the not things I'm doing. Yeah. The, the nothing. But I mean, nothing is yeah. something and nothing, you yeah. know, like, it's good to it's good to just take to take a long break. It's also great because, you know, there was a time in our lives where we could not afford to take the mental break at all. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we were we would be terrified that we didn't have a next thing on board. So in a way, it just really showcases some growth that I think is really important to celebrate, you know, of like, okay, like this is not a position I would have found myself in a decade ago or even five years ago, but now I'm here and it's because you like worked really hard for it. Well, you know, it's also just really interesting because, you know, when you think about, you know, you know, our kind of space, like, you know, the spaces we're in and, you know, in our, and, and at our, our age, you know, when we're, we're coming up in New York, like, you know, you were really, we're re- we were really coming up under this kind of, you know, coming up in our, you know, adult years coming up, you know, not like, you know, teenagers, but, you know, we were really still under that umbrella of this like concept of like it girl, you know, like we, like there was this like very distinct language around like women don't, you know, like these, like these kind of like yeah, novels. Like, who is the woman that's going to make it? Uh, and, and it's of the moment. And it was always like thing of the moment, you know, because that was like media's narratives around like young women who were able to do things at like a younger age in a lot of that because of the internet, you know, um, because we were able to cultivate these, per- these kind of communities, whether it was on pod from podcasting or from Instagram or from Twitter or, or from whatever. And so, you know, I just remember thinking like, wow, like, do we get to have career- like lifelong careers or is everything like 15 minutes of something? And then you were just like, oh, but if the goal is not like fame, then you don't have to worry about the 15 minute thing, (laughs) you know, like you don't need that. that. Like that's, that's when the, the time part of it can either like really mess with you or not. But then when you're just kind of like, Oh, right. I want a life, not just a job. (laughs) And I want, you know, like a community, not just an audience, all of those things started to shift, but it, it did take a while. I think for, you know, our generation to kind of like, especially of the New York girls to kind of shake that idea of like it of the moment, this thing, because you were like, gosh, do I get to like, you know, have my like, you know, Joni Mitchell years or like Carly Simon years, (laughs) California, (laughs) you know, or like. The thing thing that's easy though, is that the it girls do not look like us. And so there is something really liberating about that. It's like, instead of being mad, that you are not, you know, or like sad that you're not being reflected in the media or that no one is going, you're not a contender. There is something about that that is really liberating because it means that you just get to do the work that you want to do and then the world will catch up. And I really, I really appreciated that. And I was like, I'm so glad that I did not get caught up and flame out at 24. Yeah. Because by the way, you know, we saw a lot, you know, it had happened to a lot of people around us, you know, and and I, I think about that a lot because I was like, even as, because I don't know, it's so random that I brought that up, but it was because I was thinking, I was like, where did that scarcity come from? Like afraid to take a break. And I was like, you know what? Like it was really just instilled of like that, you know, New York, you know, 10 years ago kind of thing of how they just treated you like young women, you know? Ugh, so depressing. I want to talk about things that are not depressing and also very okay. superficial. Well, two things. One, I have to ask because Anne is so curious and I too am curious. Your handwriting is gorgeous. Discuss. Like, did you know, were you like one of those kids that you would doodle all day and you were like, one day this handwriting is going to make money? Or was this like a pleasant surprise for you? You know, it's really funny because, you know, I have basically two handwritings. One, I I have a cursive handwriting that I use pretty often. And then I have my, um, what is it called when it's non-cursive? Like block letters, I guess. Because, you know, it's like, isn't it so weird that they're going to like stop teaching cursive in schools? 
Well, listen, I will tell you that I don't know how to write at all because I had to learn how to write in French school. And then when I went to American school, they were using block letters. Long story short, my handwriting is awful. (laughs) And every single day I go on the internet to be like, which child's book can I buy to learn to teach myself how to write? I think this should be the next of my pandemic like work is to learn how to write. So anytime I see my friends' handwritings, I am so it's like the only thing that I'm like jealous of. I'll see it and I'm like, I want this, but you are the top of the handwriting list. It's really funny because it wasn't really a mostly artistic decision to fill in the letters, which is what people ask me a lot. But it was for me, I'm, I'm horrible at spelling and it was the only way I could proofread things. And, and my my real kryptonite is that I, I write sentences and I'll put the same word twice in a row, like is, is, you know. And so how I would go back to proofread my writing before putting it online would be to fill in the letters. Um, wow. You know, this kind of helped me to kind of focus focus in on, you know, paying, paying closer attention. And so that is pretty much the entire reason that I, um, I do that. And then other than that, you know, handwriting is also, you know, when you're writing, it's really all about the pen. I mean, I think if, you know, sometimes if, you know, if I was writing with a, like, even I could see it in some of the really early posts on Instagram, I, you know, was writing with like a, you know, it's just like a classic like Bic pen. It doesn't look the same. So much of when, why your handwriting will look nice is just having like a really like kind of silky nice pen. I'm going to call you as soon as we hang up from doing this podcast so you can be my um, writing coach. I'm going to send you, I'll send you some good pens and paper. This is, this is the next iteration. Okay. Here's my other very superficial thing. Um, Mm -hmm. You, you are the only person that I will pick up the phone for if you call and I'm in the middle of like um, doing my skincare. I just, <laughs> you're, the, you're the only person who will see me naked. You remember um, when the last time we FaceTimed and we were both in our towels just getting out of the shower? 100%. Like I said, you're the only person that I'll answer the phone for in that state. Um, your skin always looks like great. What's the secret? What's the like Clio skincare routine? You know, it's really funny. I always feel like I could be like 25% cuter if I could just get skincare down. But I'm such a basic bitch. Like I literally use Cetaphil and that's it. And I don't even like really use moisturizer or anything like that. I use like a little bit of like a Tatcha spray, but um, like a like a misting spray to like create some type of moisture. And one thing I do a lot is um, it, I think one of the best things you could do, whether you're like growing it right outside your window in, you know, New York or like in under like a little heat lamp or something is to have an aloe plant because like I put a lot of raw aloe on my face when I, when I'm breaking out. And if you grow the plant, the plant's like two ninety nine, and you can just keep it for a long time and it, it kind of regenerates. And, but especially after having Memphis, you know, your skin is just doing such crazy things constantly because your hormones are so wacky And so having just kind of like very basic, you know, I've tried like cool skincare things before, like I've gotten fancy facials and like everyone else, you end up like walking away with like $500 worth of the facialist products and you use them kind of like, I don't even know what to do with all this stuff. And I don't know if it makes a difference or if my skin just looks good because I got a whole facial, you know? Um, And so, but I, I have found that, you know, with, having very sensitive skin as I have now, even, you know, one year postpartum of Memphis. Um, it's like the really, really simple, more simple, the better. So I just, even just like, if I was going to break it down to three things beyond even using like the Tatcha spray, which is pretty expensive, I would say like Cetaphil rose water spray, you know, just like the cheapy one in the pink bottle and a little aloe and you know, I would recommend those three to anyone and you can get them all for probably under $10. The fact that you said Cetaphil is making me furious because my number one skincare nemesis is Pharrell, 
who like just is getting younger and i was like just admit it you are eating you are like drinking the blood of small children mm-hmm. but anytime he's asked about his skincare routine he's like oh it's nothing it's just cetaphil and i was like you are a liar so <laughs> now so now you have triggered me oh my God. <laughs> okay here's the last thing i want to ask you cleo I have really loved that I knew you before you were a mother and now I know you as a mother and it is so beautiful to see. But I really appreciate that you are a friend who made that transition from single, ready to mingle to I have a partner and you're like, now I have a baby. And it like did not change our friendship, you know, and we've like really navigated those things. And I think that so much of it is because it's because we talked about it, but I think it's also because you are a really thoughtful person, you know, who is like, okay, like here is a, here's how my life has changed. And here's how we're, we are going to do that. And, you know, I'm like, I personally love it. And it's also a really fraught area of friendship, I think for a lot of people. And so I am just wondering, you know, if you have something to say to someone who is afraid of what that transition means for their friendships and for the rest of their life. You know, I think that it just requires grace on both ends, you know? And so I remember one of the things that was one of the moments I just felt so lucky to have you as a friend is we were making plans to see each other. And I think we were in, it was in LA. I had just had Memphis. Maybe you were coming over to see her because she was just born. Yes. And you met Memphis really early. So it would have been through like in the phase where I was still pretty like narcoleptic because you only sleep like two hours at a time. And so you had some scheduling stuff. I had some scheduling stuff. I fell asleep. Da, da, da. And then, but finally we got it together and you came over, but it was like maybe five hours later than our original plan. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry because I thought this and that and da, da, da. And you were like, honestly, at this time in our lives, if there's one thing we need to be, it's graceful with scheduling. And I just remember thinking like, you know, that was at that exact moment of my life, exactly what I really needed to hear from a friend. As I'm trying to figure out all of these pieces while including a bunch of new pieces, that like the scheduling, scheduling being weird isn't a lack of prioritizing. Do you know what I mean? Like, actually all these things are priorities. And I, and I always remember this talk that Gloria Steinem gave once and someone said to her, you know, there's so many things that are so important and worth fighting for. Like, how do you prioritize which issue when? And she goes, you don't. <laughs> she was like, oh yeah, that's easy. You don't. And I remember thinking like when I had Memphis and, you know, Simon entering our lives, it was like, I was like, I actually just never planned on trying to like participate in the delusion of balance or like prioritizing friends versus this versus this, but actually like, you know, always kind of having this kind of like, there are a lot of things that are important to me. There's a lot of things that make up who I am. And in every day, just like with self-care, it just might look need to look different every single day and kind of fit in different spaces every single day. And so to have these level sets with your friends where you're like, you know what, like, you know, I remember even thinking, which is a kind of like a weird thing to say, because you definitely don't hear moms say it a lot. But like, I love Memphis so much, but I didn't have that feeling that was like, I have never loved like this. Or like, you never have no that kind of love until you have a child. Because I was like, you know, to me, love is like a thing. It's like almost like a line where someone's like, once they're on the side of your love, like they, you're just, they're in the love space. And it's just, like, a, I have loved before. Thank you. Yeah, like I just, I did. I was like, you know, I have just spent, you know, so many years really loving my girlfriends and I really love her father, you know, and like, and I really had spent so much of my adult life. So kind of in this space of like what love means and, and its value and it's, and how I, you know, whether give it or experience it and, I literally like just lumped her in with everybody else I love. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I love her too. This other, this new thing I really, really love. And so in that, you know, I felt like with my friends and and I would say to anyone is just to kind of like have the moment of pause and be like, I'm trying to figure out how all of these new things work and fit and like mix. And it's not even about prioritizing or shifting anyone out closer or nearer or whatever, but it's just about what it feels like to make these things whole on a daily basis, knowing that from one day to the next, it will not be the same. 
Yeah, it's like a there's a new there are new elements in the mix, and we are all going to have to adjust. Yeah, and and it's exciting to adjust. You know, like I've always said that if like there was one thing, I think if I if someone asked me like when that question of like what's the secret to your success, if my answer to that question would be every single time, it would be, you know, my ability to be excited for or adapt to change with like openness. You know, Mm -hmm. I've I've always been someone who's been ready to have new information change the way I thought about something or have a new idea come and change the entire way I looked at my work or my life or whatever and just really be excited and, and up for the challenge of change. And so, you know, with motherhood, I kind of applied that same spirit to it and and it did it did help so much well um i love that you're a mom because Mm -hmm. it means that i get to have fun with your child so thank you um here soon to be with us i am coming to be with you very soon because this is untenable and it's silly and one of the last things that i did before the world changed was that you and i canceled our dinner plans i know and so you could take an earlier flight because yeah it's the last time i'm ever canceling dinner plans so That's that on that. Um, I love you so much, Cleo. I hope that you're having a good day and squeeze everyone in your house for me. I will. I love you so much. Thank you for having me on. This was such a pleasure. Oh, what a joy. Thank you for that. Truly the best. So wise, so generous. I feel, you know, so many things about the pandemic have been really, really, really painful. Um, but I am really enjoying just getting to check in with like far flung pals and it's really getting me excited about the day one day when Joe Biden and Kamala will let us, um, we are allowed (laughs) to see each other again. Uh, it'll be so nice. And I can't wait to read what the road said. I know on the list for all of my kiddos. Um, I Mm. will see you on the internet Anne. see you on the internet. You can find us many places on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your favorite platforms. Subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. You can call us back. You can leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. We're on Instagram and Twitter at CallYRGF. Our producer is Jordan Bailey, and this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac.